Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Crazy Money. This week, we've got a great conversation around all the crazy money that is flying around the world, the professional golf in its history, there's never been anything like the billions that are chasing the birdies and bogeys in the 2022 season. Helping us make sense of this issue is Rich Beam. He is the winner of the 2002 PGA Championship and two other PGA Tour events. He's now a golf analyst for Sky Sports in the UK and Ireland. So he has a front row seat to all things pro golf, including the drama that's going down between the PGA Tour and its upstart competitor, that dang scrappy little upstart, Live Golf. What is Live Golf? Well, first of all, Live is or are the Roman numerals for the number 54, which is the perfect score you would get if you carded a birdie on every hole. It's also the number of holes that players will be playing in Live Golf's shorter golf tournaments. The thing that's interesting about Live Golf is that it's backed by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, which means they have very deep pockets, and those pockets are filled with money that may be tainted by Saudi Arabia's human rights record. Well, the PGA Tour is taking a very hardline stance against Live Golf and saying you either play with PGA Tour or Live Golf, you can't do both. And Live Golf is poaching some of the best PGA players away from the PGA Tour by paying, for example, $200 million for Phil Mickelson, $150 million for Dustin Johnson, and a whole lot more for players you probably never even heard of. Well, Rich is going to talk us through some of the some of the subtleties of, of this situation, how we got here over the years. We're going to talk this week about how the PGA Tour is responding to Live Golf's existential challenge, which golf he thinks has the better product, how Tiger Woods impacted the game from a financial perspective, why Rich's dog, whom you'll meet, is named after a town in Minnesota, whether PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan is sleeping well at night, whether live golfers will be able to play in the Masters and other major tournaments, and as bonus content, ladies and gentlemen, I say as I slam my fist on this wooden desk from Pottery Barn or wherever it's from, as bonus content that is available only on the Crazy Money YouTube channel or on our Facebook page, we ask Rich why Golf Channel's Brandel Chambly is such a divisive figure. If you're a golf fan, I know you're going to want to hear his response to this. And that is available again on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash crazy money podcast, or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash crazy money podcast. While you're there, by all means, subscribe, say nice things, like it, share it with your friends, etc., etc. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rich Bean. Rich Beam, welcome back to Crazy Money. Thank you very kindly. Good to be back. Rich, there's a lot going on in the world of golf. Before we jump into the current events, I want to I want to ask you as a guy who who spent a lot of years playing as a PGA Tour player, you know, living life as a pro golfer sounds like a pretty sweet way to make a living. What's what's the lifestyle? What are the pros and cons of the lifestyle? You know, if you if you like playing golf, it's like Christmas every day. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty simple as that. You know, it kind of depends on what level of, of professional you're at. I mean, I think if you're a professional on the PGA Tour, then yeah, it's it's definitely Christmas every day for the most part. And um, the world's changing right now with golf. And so it's definitely a lot more lucrative than it used to be. Not that it wasn't lucrative back when I was playing. In fact, that's kind of when the boom spiked where it, it is today. But, you know, if you're a professional golfer and you're out there on the PGA Tour and, and you're you're playing even halfway decent at times. It's fantastic. You know, you're always going to have some stress. I mean, there's nothing that's never going to go away. I don't care whether you're, you know, Rory McIlroy at the tour championship playing or you're, you're a guy that's uh, on the cusp of, of, of needing to make a cut 
you know, after six miscuts in a row. I mean, there's going to still be the same nerves out there. Just it's it's the way that you handle them and, and you know, different types of nerves, but it's still nerves no matter what. And I think that's the reason why everybody loves to play the game uh, at the highest level, just because you, you're you okay. You're comfortable with being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. And you're okay with being nervous. I think that's the thing that for most players, why some are successful and some aren't, is that they get to a certain level and they just don't like to be that nervous. And, you know, it's just uh, that's the nature of the game. Speaking of nerves, what's the difference in total in terms of number of strokes you know, between the number one player in the world and the 50th player in the world. You're talking about a huge no. difference. You're talking about a huge difference in terms of compensation and recognition and fame, but what's the difference in talent level there? Oh, you're probably talking not even a stroke around. It's probably a, <laughs> it's probably a half a stroke around, I think is probably what it averages out to. You know, I think Rory's scoring average was, you know, just under 69. And if you have a scoring average, of if it's just a half a stroke difference, that's two stroke, two full strokes in a excuse me in the course of a golf tournament. So your scoring average is seventy one versus sixty nine. Or actually, no, it's not true. It's it's so say that yours is sixty nine point five versus sixty nine. You know, you're still doing very well at sixty nine point five, but you're doing a hell of a lot better at sixty nine. It's, it's that big, you know. But the funny part about the scoring average too, though, is that you know there's certain players that seriously just get hot at certain points of it. They're streaky players, and it's just you know so their consistency is not going to be there, and their scoring average is going to be kind of skewed by that. But when they get in the hunt and they they let the dice roll and they get after it, then that's those are the guys that you kind of get scared of because you're like, you know, that this guy has got no fear in him. And when he plays well, he plays really well. When he plays, he plays crap. He plays really bad. <laughs> right. Right. I was thinking about the way the tour changed in terms of money. And I remembered in 1992, I was flying home from Atlanta. Well, I, I lived in Austin, Texas, where you are today. I lived in Austin, Austin, Texas for a little while. I had been home in Atlanta and I flew back to Austin on a Sunday. And on my flight was the guy who won the Atlanta golf classic, Tom Kite. Now, in today's world, would he be flying on a commercial flight? Very few guys are flying commercially. Now, there's still a few guys that will. It kind of depends on on where they're coming from and where they're going. But I mean, you know, I'd say most of the players, unless they're going home and they live on the West Coast, anybody that lives on the East Coast, I mean, you know, after after Augusta, most everything is on the East Coast. They're all flying privately, they're hanging, you know going with somebody else or whatnot, but I rarely see too many of the top 50 players flying uh, commercial anymore. I think it's just, they've got a way of doing it, whether it's through net jets, whether it's through chartering their own jet or, you know, just sharing with other guys. But I mean, yep. I, it's rarely, rarely where you see a guy or even hear of a guy flying commercially. Right. Now, a lot of that probably has to do with the involvement of those private jet companies in the sport, but a lot of it also has to do with just the absolute amount of money. I, I did a little research. In 1986, 10 years before Tiger came on the scene, our man Greg Norman, who we're going to come back to, <laughs> of course, was, news. was the tour's leading money winner with a grand total of $653,000, which would be about $1.8 today. Now, compare that to what Rory McIlroy won this past weekend in Atlanta. We're recording this on September 1st. He won 18 million. So that's what, 100 times more? No, 10 times more than uh, th than what Greg made in an entire season. What's going on in terms of wh what's happened to money? Why has the money gotten so crazy in the last 25 years? You know, I, I, 
obviously because of Tiger Woods. I mean, I think he's the biggest reason because he came in where Greg was obviously very good at what he did, but he, it's almost like, you know, he, people rooted for him because he, he put himself in position to win a bunch, but he didn't win that often. Just kind of, oh, it's so hard to win out here. It's, you know, and then Tiger sits down in a chair across from Curtis Strange and says, you know, Curtis says, what's your expectations? And Tiger says, well, to win. And when he says, well, what happens if you finish second in your first tournament? And I says, well, it sucks. I didn't win. And Curtis goes, you'll learn. <laughs> and famously, he kind of comes back. Curtis goes, yeah, I, I guess he didn't learn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So I think just the Tiger just just coming to the tour and winning at such a prolific clip and then being marketable and having companies, you know, even companies that it wasn't affiliated with, like Doral used to have the Ford Championship. Well, he was sponsored by Buick. They didn't give it, you know, flying Farfignugan. They wanted him there at the Ford Championship winning it because it's bringing more eyeballs to the Ford Championship irregardless of he's got a Buick golf bag, right? And so sponsors didn't care. They were willing to put the money up as long as, you know, he was going to show up. And so that's when the money really started growing is in hopes that, you know, he would be coming to their tournaments. And he kind of played the same events here and there, but the whole marketability of him made the tour that much stronger. And CBS and NBC wanted to make sure that they got their fair share of him. So they would, you know, pick up the contracts. They wanted to, like, I mean, if they could show every tournament and even regardless if he's there or not, they were going to be able to talk about him in some form or fashion. And so I think Tiger's the one that really brought all this money into the game. And then once the, once he started winning as much as he did, I mean, funny enough, I can make the argument he's bigger now than he ever was when he was playing and winning all those times. Right. So I think that, it's just the simple fact that he made the game what it is today. I mean, when I was a kid, nobody really cared about playing golf. Now, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and now there's, I mean, the, the level of competition is just mind blowing. I mean, you got kids turning pro at, you know, right out of high school in some cases. And that was unheard of. I mean, you know, it was unheard of when I got on tour for guys that were, that were in their early twenties to go out there and start winning. You know, I mean, it's just it, it, very rarely did you have have somebody that was very young come out and win. And now, you know, most of these guys are in their early 20s that seem to be winning at a massive club. It's it's completely changed. Yeah. Back back around the time you and I were born, uh, we're just a few years apart, I believe. It's like, you know, Jack and Arnie were driving around the country in their Dodge darts playing for 500 bucks and a cart in the Marlboro Reds. You know, like it was a totally different. It was a working man sport. Oh, and, and I miss those days. A lot because they'd also get done and go right to the bar and you know start throwing back dry martinis as fast as they could you know and hanging right, out and right. doing other things. But no, I mean, it's a completely different ball game these days. It's it's wild. It's mind blowing. When did you first hear the rumors of a super league, the possibilities of a super league happening in in the world of golf? I first heard it. I must have been twenty. What was it? Twenty. 17, I think the PJ Championship was at um, 16 or 17 at um, Quail Hollow. And I was sitting there talking to Rory and Harrington. And they kind of, there was some, some rumblings of this, uh, this premier golf league that is still around, to be fair. The, the concept is still there. We'll talk more about the concept here in a minute. But that's when I kind of heard about them talking about 
uh, a super league of, of 48 players getting together like F1 and having a an individual event and also a team event tied in with it. And I kind of thought, well, that's interesting, you know, not really knowing the numbers that were behind it at the time. And I kind of thought, well, that's, you know, that's an interesting way of doing it. And I'm like, where are you going to play that? You know, when are you going to play that? Who are you going to get? You know, is it going to be just off season stuff? I mean, how's that all going to work? So I heard that in about 2016 or 17, but didn't really pay attention much to it after that, except for just what you would hear every once in a while. It just didn't seem to have the traction because you couldn't get the PGA tour or the DP world tour on board with it because, you know, the players were, you know, making pretty darn good money back in the day. And then all of a sudden, things certainly change in a hurry in the, in the spring of 2022. And the PGA Tour needs to be on board because it's the official body that makes up the independent, the individual independent contractors who are the pro golfers, right? And there are rules and regs that you have to adhere to if you want to play on the tour. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you there's, a, there's bylaws and things like that, rules and regs, like you said. And once you get your tour card, you have to sign that away. And uh, when you register for each and every event, you you sign away your your name, image, image and likeness, and whatnot. So, so the PGA Tour, when you go to a tournament, they the rules and regulations they have you you sign away your name, image, and likeness, and your media rights, basically. And that's fine. I mean, it's just been standard issue because that's how the tour is able to go to the TV companies and and uh, be able to sell those contracts. You know, that way we're playing for the money that we are. And so, you know, the PGA Tour has to sign off on a lot of things, but they hold the reins pretty good. Like whenever you'd want to go overseas to go play in a tournament, you had to sign up for that conflicting release. I want to say it was like eight weeks in advance. So you kind of had to know your schedule and know when you're going to be able to go play overseas and whatnot, or when you wanted to go play overseas. That way you can tell the tour that, hey, listen, I need a, an opposite event release. And most often they were granted to you. I didn't hear of any times where they wouldn't grant you a convicting event release. But you also had to, you had to play a minimum number of events. And this is one of the issues that's really, this is one of the issues that keeps coming up is that there's a certain number of events and that guys like Phil Mickelson and Rory, you know, that, that, that they're, they're in demand for whatever, 35 weeks a year. And, and when they play this event, they got to show up on Tuesday because they got to play the pro-am, all this stuff. So, so one of the issues is how much of their of of the schedule is demanded of the leading tour of all tour pros, but especially of the leading tour pros who have presumably career optionality. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's an interesting you know way of looking at it because I think that the minimum number of events you have to play is fifteen, and the tour doesn't tell you anywhere that you have to to play. Well, that changed a little bit five or six years ago, where they said, "Listen, you have to play a tournament once every four years that you haven't played before, unless you have a." an excuse or a rational, a, a business reason why you can't or a corporate sponsorship event, why you can't do that. So um, that kind of changed over the last five or six years, I think. So it kind of took a little bit of the tour and just said, listen, we need you to support more tournaments throughout the year instead of just going back to the same ones you always do because you still had Tiger going to the same. I mean, it was like clockwork. You can tell exactly where Tiger was going to play, where Mickelson was going to play, where VJ, Ernie, Retief, you know, those guys back in the day. And then it, it kind of still fell true for the guys, the younger guys, you know, the Jordan Spieths, when they first got out there, they needed to go play these certain events and just kind of go to different markets in order to help the tour out as a whole instead of just going to the same ones each and every time, just because of the simple fact that that's just a place they feel comfortable with and it's not too far from their house, you know, anything like that. Yeah. 
So what? So when does Live Golf come along? When do the Saudis get get in the action? And Live Golf is 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 a, a new golf league that is funded by the the Saudi Arabian uh, uh, investment fund, and uh, very controversial, of course, because the money comes from a regime that has done a whole bunch of unsavory things, human rights violations, including most notably the the recent assassination of Jamal Khashoggi. So I heard first heard about Live. I wouldn't say first heard about it middle of last year at some point in time. And I've what's got your dog dog's here. name? First of all, what's your dog's name? Let's introduce. Let's meet the dog. Okay, my dog's name is Chaska, and I'll give your rationale behind Chaska. Chaska. Hello, Chaska. Hello, yeah, And Chaska is named after the town that I won the PGA in. <laughs> nice, Chaska, Minnesota. There you go, yeah. at Hazeltine. Uh, at Hazeltine, well, we were supposed to get a girl dog, and the girl dog was uh, going to be named Hazel for Hazeltine, but we yeah. couldn't figure out the boy's name, so I just thought, well, how about Chaska? So, oh, that's great. Yeah, he's he loves attention, and I can't quite give it to him right now, so uh, he might be barking every now and again, and that's just going to be... <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way Zoom works in 2022, right? This is a, a pandemic. Is, is, uh, pandemic you know, has normalized be- that kind of thing. He'll actually be okay sitting here, I think, for a few minutes. So anyways, I first started hearing about Liv probably last summer when it first started gaining traction and when Norman was announced as the as the commissioner of it. And and that might have been earlier than that than last summer. But I was just I was kind of I was still kind of confused, like going, okay, so this thing is finally taking place. And Premier Golf League has been kind of put on the back burner a little bit, with the exception of that they still had a lot of traction, especially with the PGA Tour, because they were reaching out to the PGA Tour and wanting to do business with them, not against them, with them. And where where the live concept came from, LIV, which is 54, Mm -hmm. okay, that whole concept was basically it materialized back in 2011, the concept of it. So the, the Premier Golf League has been, this concept came up in 2011. Uh, one of my colleagues, he was one of the first guys to talk to this group and say, you know, listen, what kind of format can we have? How can we make golf more interesting? You know, how can we make it fun? Uh, bring a, you know, a different dynamic to the game, change it up a little bit. I don't think they were looking to change the game. I don't think they were looking to, to go out on their own. They just wanted to have a different concept that might be, you know, that might help change the dynamic of the game, but it was never. So where live came from, they basically stole the concept from the premier golf league and the premier golf league originally started, started with the Saudis. And I know I'm getting part of this incorrect but i'm 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 going back on what uh, my my colleague has told me because he was he helped to develop a lot of this and they were originally uh, premier golf league was originally talking to the saudis and those talks broke off years later i want to say it was about 2017 or 18 just because they didn't like the the direction of where the money was coming from they've already had a lot of interest from other folks in the financial world, things like that. And so they didn't really feel like they wanted to go, go down the road with the Saudis. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of just glossing over some of this stuff. So, but I know that, um, that where it sits now, the premier golf league really wanted to go and work alongside the PGA tour and create this concept possibly after the tour championship was done, instead of having all the silly season event or the, the wraparound season, they were going to make this, okay, we're going to go showcase golf around the world. 
you know, we're going to fly you in these big jets and, and so on and so forth. And you get to play three days shotgun start and, you know, enhance your brand, show golf to the masses, bring a different, you know, feel to it. And make That's a lot of money and make a whole bunch of money. And make a ton of money. And who doesn't love money? <laughs> So what is, what's Greg Norman like as a person and uh, what's his history with the PGA? Well, his history with the PGA Tour is not good. I mean, I think that the, his original concept of having a world golf tour was shot down by Tim Fincham back in the, let's say it was the early to mid 80s. And Peter Jakes tells it perfectly, he says, you know what? We went into this room with a bunch of players and Greg was going to spearhead this thing talking about, Hey, listen, we need to put, you know, some heat on commissioner Pincham to create this world golf tour. Um, just to, you know, a put more money in our pockets worldwide, you know, by, by playing around the world and, and just, uh, enhancing our brands. And they walked in, these players walked in, including Arnold Palmer. And once Greg started talking, he, Palmer oh, goes, are we, are you saying that we're going to go against the PGA Tour? We're going to move out on our own, branch on our own? And Norman basically says, yes. Palmer got up and walked out. And when Palmer walked out, so did 95% of the room. Yeah, you lose the room with Arnie. You lose the room. And since then, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's you know, it, I think Norman was slighted by that. I'm sure he'll tell you a completely different story. I'm just rehashing what Peter Jacobson told me. And there you go. But uh I think that his his relationship with the tour has always been contentious, but it's pretty it's funny to me is that without the PGA Tour and their platform, where else was he going to play around the world and get the notoriety that he did? No place, you know. I mean, he was a superstar in the game of golf. Super, you know, he's not going to become a superstar by playing anywhere else in the world, only on the U.S. Right. If he'd opted to stay in Japan because he made a lot more, more money from sponsors in Japan and things like that, that's going to make him rich, but it's not going to make him a superstar in the game. Yeah. So and he, he, seems to be, he seems to be a guy that relishes the spotlight and likes to be him. He was a flashy guy. He, he, he seemed to be very materialistic. He was into big, you know, women and cars and all that kind of stuff. And boats and things like that. You know, what was it in 90 and 86 when he lost to, you know, lost to Nick Faldo. He says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go get on my boat and, you know, go cry in my, my beers, you know, and my 80 foot, you know, whatever it was, it's like, yeah. well, yeah, you probably should be crying. In your I mean, I think that's pretty devastating when you lose a, a lead that big at, uh, you know, Augusta national, the one place that you covet winning at, you know, right. the one his thing, reaction. He, the one thing he couldn't get, and he lost a big Sunday lead in 96. And then, and then the, and he sort of writes it off by saying, well, I'm rich and handsome and I've got all kinds of women waiting for me. What do I need that for? That's... Which is, which is sort of the essence of what we're talking about here at Live, right? We're talking about money versus legacy in, in, in the golf world. And nine months ago, I think most people, you know, like Live Golf was a punchline kind of, but, but soon enough, cracks started showing in the PGA when, Commissioner Jay Monahan took a hard line and said, we don't negotiate with terrorists, basically, and said, F you, there's, you can't play in both. And then slowly but surely, he lost one great player and then another and then another. And now you've got people like, and uh, for our non-golf fans, we're talking about some of the biggest players in the world. Phil Mickelson, um, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Patrick Reed, Cam Smith, who just won, uh, who, what, who won what, TPC and the British Open this, this year? Yeah, player I mean, championship and the British Open. Yeah, I mean, he's a bad, bad, bad young man, and he just left the PGA to go over there. So the PGA has a real, real problem here. Yes and no. 
I mean, they've got a, I think the problem is, is that they don't know why the players are, is it just for the money why they're leaving? Or is it, is it because of something else? Is it because of the way that they think that PJ Tour is doing business? You know, listen, I could probably go down the list and tell you exactly why every single player has gone over to live <laughs> yeah. and, and make a, make a, make an honest statement for him other than, you know, even if it's just for the money, you know, talk about their background, like Harold Barner the third just went over there and you talk about a guy that is just loved, beloved. I mean, his personality is so good. And I know it took a beating, you know, it took a little bit of a hammering when he went over to live and whatnot. But I mean, for where he came from and the opportunity to get paid that much money to go play the game that got him into this position in life, you better believe it. I mean, I, I look at that move for Harold Barnum III and I think it's phenomenal. But yeah, you're right. The, the PJ Tour did have a little bit of a panic attack there when, when DJ left. I don't know that they were really expecting that. And I think that what the players did, though, on the PGA Tour, when they kind of circled the wagons a little bit, they the players took initiative and they had that 22-man meeting at the BMW Championship not long ago. That was a turning point for the PGA Tour itself, knowing full well that they had the support of the top players on the PGA Tour. Yeah, you mentioned Harold Varner, which I think is interesting for several reasons. One, he's one of two or three African-American players on the entire tour, right, <laughs> including Tiger. Um, and he, when, when, you know, the first players went to live, they tried to say, well, I want to grow the game outside of, uh, you know, the, the American, all that stuff. And we all knew that was bullshit, right? It was about the money, but they've changed the, they've changed the tune. And Harold Varner said the opportunity to, this is his quote, to join live golf is simply too good of a financial breakthrough for me to pass by. I know what it means to grow up without much. This money is going to ensure that my future and my kid and my future, uh, Varners have a solid base to start on life, etc. So they're actually Acknowledging the financial, the the huge financial win, and it and given you know Harold's background, that's one where you can say I don't know how Lee Westwood grew up, but it probably wasn't as uh, rough as what Harold grew up in. Well, yeah, you know the, the difference between Lee Westwood and Harold Varner growing up, and what Lee Westwood had, had at Harold's age, you know, through various sponsorships and this and that. That's a whole other box of Oreos to go down. But I mean, I just think it's an interesting. You know, when guys talked about growing the game over there, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, okay, we're, I mean, growing the game in the United States, I think we do a pretty good job as it is, you know, with what we do. And I think Top Golf grows the game pretty yeah. healthily right now. And, yeah. you know, they're going to be looking, you know, and it's not like the PGA Tour is, is mundane and boring. I mean, there's lots of side things going on on Fridays and Saturdays. I mean, all kinds of entertainment. You're, they're not lacking entertainment. It's just, you know, maybe in a different arena or, I guess when you only invite 2,000 people to your tournament versus 20,000 people, it's a little bit different dynamic. You can kind of, you can, you can move 2,000 people around a live event pretty quickly, much less the 20,000 people or on a Thursday at a PGA tour event, much right. less the 40,000 versus 250,000 on the Saturday. So at the uh, Phoenix Open. But, you know, I, again, I think it's, I think it just, it comes down to money, whether you are capitalizing on something that you've done. In life previously, your successes, as in Phil Mickelson, Bryson, Brooks, uh, DJ, or if it's just a, if it's an opportunity because you are a, a, a great personality like Harold Varner is, you know, but like some of these guys that I just saw, um, take some of the money. I mean, I never knew Cameron Tringali that well, but here's a guy that's made $17 million plus on the PGA Tour and never racked up a single win. Wow. Well, and, and again, I don't want to pick on him, but 
listen, I understand you can't beat anybody on the PGA tour. Might as well go over and try and beat 48 guys, 47 guys over on the live tour. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I don't want to be that harsh, but that's, that's the reality of it. I mean, he's had many chances to win and all of a sudden, you know, he can't win. He's already made $17 million on a tour that's, that's provided for him and his family. And I mean, his pension is going to be amazing. Right. I, I, again, if he says anything other than this is a financial decision, shame on him. You talked about the meeting that players had um, in Delaware, I believe it was a few a few weeks back. They have taken up different camps, right? I mean, it's now PGA players versus live players. Do you think did, did Scotty Scheffler intentionally walk in Cam Smith's line at the FedEx St. Jude's uh, Classic? Oh no, 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 not at all. I think that Scotty Scotty Scheffler was in a uh, he was in a space headspace that uh, he didn't realize what the hell he was doing. So, no, I don't think he did that. I don't think any player would do that intentionally. To be fair, I mean, I you have to be some kind of real jackass to do that on purpose. But there is real tension between these two groups, right? I mean, Rory said that he's, you know, they're going to play some live golfers are going to play with the PGA golfers. He said he wasn't looking forward to it when he goes over to play in the PGA, the BMW PGA next week. Okay. So that's different though. That's, those are guys that have already gone. Now, nobody really, nobody truly knew. I mean, I mean, it was probably a worst kept secret, but I mean, nobody truly knew what Cam Smith was going to do until he left. And so you had to assume, or we had to assume that he was just going to go, you know, he was still deciding there's still a lot of factors out there, whether or not he'd already signed the contract and whatnot. I think everybody had to assume because he wasn't giving us anything else and you can say what you want. But I mean, I think players are always going to have that respectability where it's like, listen, we don't know if he's going, not until you know it for a fact. And so what's different about it is that if you look at the Scottish open where those guys like four players were given an injunction to go play that increased the field by four. They paired those, they paired them in twos together. And so those players were on their own. They're probably going to do the same thing at the BMW PGA where you, but you got 20 guys, the live guys will still continue to play with the live guys. They're probably going to get, I mean, out there, they're probably going to get harassed by the fans. We will still show them on TV because they're still playing in that event. And we don't want to disparage the event and we don't want to draw any, any unwanted attention, you know, to live either. What do you think of the new PGA schedule that was released and then the new structure of some of these tournaments that, that, that uh, was announced last week at the uh, tour championship here in Atlanta? And is it really what the players were asking for all along? I think so. I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, it's an interesting point. And, and um, when all this was, this came down on on basically Wednesday a week ago. I was kind of curious. Like my first instinct was like, where did all this money come from? Right. Well, that's the big question. So has the money yeah. been there all along, or are they going to have to take it away from the charities that the PG no, oh, no. supports? Oh no, 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 no! It'll never take away from the charities at all. I I think there's probably been some business deals done that were probably coming down the pipeline a little bit, as it were. But I think that. Unlike what the PGA Tour does historically in taking their time and really kind of, you know, making sure that everything they do is going to be exactly what they want to do and controlling every aspect of it. Once those 22 players in uh, met at the BMW, they knew right away that, you know, something has got to change sooner than later because we know that the, we have the top 22 players, you know, all these players on board with this. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they all do commit to them. Uh, as they say, but the money aspect of it 
and I've got my own theories about it. So I love a good conspiracy theory, but you know, that's for another time. But you know, I was just surprised about how it was. And my, and again, my first thing like, where's this money coming from? And it's not, I, I know we have a lot of extra money in the coffers at the PJ Tour. Um, maybe it's just flat out coming from there. Maybe it's coming from a different source. Maybe it's coming from, you know, I I don't know where, but uh, I know the, the new uh, TV deal obviously was a bit bigger as well. So there you go. There's a couple of different ways you can get it. What do you think? How do you think Jay Monahan, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, is sleeping at night? And and if he has regrets, what are they? I think he sleeps uneasy. I think it's a hard job for what he does. I think that, um, you know, when you're in charge of, you know, 200 some odd members of the PGA Tour and trying to trying to satisfy all those needs, I mean, you know, you have a lot of people that want to chat with you about some things, but you can't. You have to. You have to. You can only listen to A to yourself and you can only listen to, you know, the, the people that make the difference. Right. And I think that's why, you know, you got the Tigers, the Rory's, the Jason Thomas's, the, the Jordan Spieth's. Um, the John Roms, you know, these guys move the needle when they show up. You have to cater to them. I think Max Homa said it perfectly. He says, listen, when I'm out there playing with Tiger Woods, listen, I'm not of the of the 20,000 people that show up. I only bring about a dozen of them that really kind of want to come and watch me. Everybody else is coming out to watch Tiger. So, and that's the reality of it. I mean, it's, you, you have to cater to the biggest names in the game and, and the rest of us are just kind of, um, you know, we're, we're, we're glad to be there type kind of guys but in, in the same breath you know the thing i love about golf is that you know you can be out there and be a, one of the top players but still play for you know the, the four million dollars they're going to give at some of these events even though you're playing alongside justin thomas and you might be max home and justin's a way bigger name you can still win that four million bucks you know and yeah it's all yours but you know i just um you know, I don't know about any regrets that he would have just because I don't know the process of, of every single thing that he does. I mean, I think that it would be I'd have to kind of step in his shadow a little bit and kind of watch what he does and see how he how he manages everything. But I wouldn't criticize him at all. I mean, I think some folks are criticized for maybe not talking more to the Saudis or, or you know, not having a or kind of thinking about his stance about it all. I, I applaud what he's done and say, listen, you guys aren't invited back. I mean, you took the money and, and you went there. It's sorry, but this is kind of the way it works. Yeah. He's, I, I don't, I, I, it's easy to, to be, to play Monday morning, morning quarterback on his, on his strategy, but I certainly wouldn't want his job. And you're right. I mean, there's all those, those players he's got to keep satisfied. How many times do you think Ian Poulter tried to get him on the phone? <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you know, it's, you know I was thinking about this too. I mean, <laughs> All this influx of money has gone to the PGA Tour, and now some of it's finally starting to trickle down to the Corn Ferry because the Corn Ferry has been playing for the same amount of money forever in a day, right? right. And so finally they're going to have a little bit more uh, to play for and to help out. And, you know, they still don't want it to be a place where guys can survive. They want guys to strive and get on the PGA Tour. But I can promise you this. As a 52-year-old member of the Champions Tour, there's a bunch of guys in, in various parts of the country where they live that are over 50 that are full-time members of the Champions Tour going, how about any of that money feeding up to us since, you know, we kind of helped lay the foundation on this? Oh, man, that's the thing. If I was if that was Jay Monahan, that was a th that would be the thing that keeps me up at night is dreading the phone calls from some of the guys on the Champions right. Tour, <laughs> yeah. which you'll never get from me. <laughs> I, I'd love to go, I hear Kenny Perry go on a uh, vulgarity fueled rampage against Jay Monahan on Twitter. Wouldn't that be beautiful just to see that think, wonderful man lose it? <laughs> I, 
I want to see what I want to see what Paul Goidos has to say right about now because he's always been outspoken about the tour. I'd love to hear some of the other guys that have just been you know lifetime grinders out there and have have had successes. There's no doubt, but I'd love to hear some of the stuff like oh now these guys are making so much more money. That's the way the world works sometimes, yeah, guys. Yeah. I mean, sorry, you know. That's funny. <laughs> okay, uh, d- just a couple more questions, and I'll let you go. What the big question is: What happens with the majors? Do, do these guys get to participate in in these independent tournaments that are partners of the PGA but not run by the PGA? I think what's going to happen is that you're going to see. I'm, I think you're going to get to see the the Masters and the PGA because I think those are the two big ones. Because with the U.S. Open and the Open Championship, I've already kind of let there, you know, if you've qualified through certain, you know, avenues, then you're in. I think what we're going to see is that you have to either be a past champion of the Masters or the PGA, or you would have had to qualify for that tournament because of a major win, not because of a PGA Tour win, not because of a top 30 on you know you like Joaquin Neiman finishing top 30 in the FedEx Cup or in winning PGA tournament I don't think they're going to allow those guys in. I think they're going to allow guys that have won majors and and or have won um say the Masters or the PGA like Bubba Watson yesterday I thought that comment was a little bit like I, I couldn't believe he made that like if they don't want me there then I guess I won't, you know I don't want to be I don't want to go someplace that doesn't want me it's like couldn't you have just said you know what if they don't allow me back you know winning the Masters twice is an, an achievement of a lifetime, and uh, it'll be disappointing. But I can see their point of view. I mean, couldn't you have said that a little bit, you know, more graciously? I, I kind of thought that was very blunt. Like, well, I don't want to go if you don't want to have me. I'm like, but oh, it's Bubba. this whole thing is bringing out the worst in everybody, though. And I, I know it is, and that's and that's that's the sad part about it. I mean, I, I think that you know, I think Augusta will allow their past champions to come back. I don't think they're going to you know shoo away. You know, Mickelson, Bubba, uh, DJ, uh, Patrick Reed. I don't think they're going to shoo away any of those guys. Same thing with the PGA Championship. I think they're going to Brooks Kept to come back. I think they'll have Mickelson come back if he wants to play. But I don't think that they're going to have guys, again, that qualified other ways unless they've won a major. And those exemptions are only going to be for five years. So I think going forward, that's going to that probably that might even go away. I mean, it's, I know that. That Seth Waugh, the CEO of the PGA of America, is adamant about not letting these guys play in the PGA Championship. That that one to me is going to be the most interesting because that one's the closest, you know, to my heart. Uh, funny enough, but it'll be interesting to see how he how he handles it because I think that his voice is 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 just as strong as any other as any of the other majors, if not stronger than a couple of them. I just think that the way that he goes about and does business and what his background is. I think that his I think that his voice is going to be uh, is going to resonate with some of the other leaders, and, and they might uh, they might follow suit. All right, couple of questions from friends of mine, Cole in Cincinnati. It's uh, very uh, obscure, but he's my brother. Um, how much is a major worth? Could you put a dollar amount on what a major win is worth? Yeah, I mean, so it's not one million. Uh, let's see here. Um, I think that back in the day, we kind of looked at it. I mean, you know, Joe Ogilvy and I were talking, funny enough, you know, back in the day, I think it was valued at like 15 million or something like that, just around the time that I ordered a little bit after. Nowadays, depending on which one it is, if it's not worth 50 million to you, then you have a really, really bad agent that needs to be fired. From sponsorships and all that kind of stuff. 
sponsorships, corporate outings, all of it. I mean, what, you're, what, is, you're what does it mean to you have as a major winner? I mean, like you can't put a price on being rich beam 2002 PGA champion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like here's some guys talking about, you know, Oh, I, you must, you know, if somebody, if Colin Montgomery gave you all the money he ever made for his, <laughs> for one of your major, I'm like, like, listen, I'm not going to die with my, listen, my, no, I'm not going to die with any of that money. Yeah. I'm damn sure going to die though, with my name still on that trophy and that Wanamaker trophy forever and ever, you know, amen. I mean, it's just part of history. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, there is no money. It's invaluable. Yancey in Colorado wants to know if they approached you. If they approached me. Yeah. Did, no. did, was it, was it, were they playing you off of Faraday to try to pick, pick the one, <laughs> which funny announcer were they going to uh, have come out and, and no, provide the real um, entertainment? <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, I, they didn't, they didn't uh, reach out to me. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I did, I did sniff around a little bit, not saying that I, it, it wasn't a full course press by any stretch of the imagination. I made a couple of inquiries, um, to see if they had any interest just because I had no idea what was going on with what was going on with, with my contract and things like that. And I have to say, thankfully they said, you know, we're fine with everybody that we have right now. And I said, perfect. I, I just, once I thought about it and I just kind of, I reached out to my agent. And that's kind of, that was the extent of it. I just asked my agent, Hey, would they be interested? After I did that, I kind of thought, you know what? I really hope they say no. I mean, because I don't want to have to make that decision because I, you know, cause then it's it, the same thing. It'd be all about money. And I kind of looked around and I thought to myself, you know, I know I don't have a, a ton of it. I, I know that I, but you know what? I'm just dandy with what I got. But what I, no I don't, is there a number that you couldn't walk away from? Well, I'm sure there would have been, but I mean, I don't have to make that, you know, I don't have to make that, that choice anymore. I mean, it, again, it'd have to be, it'd have to be, you know, as Faraday said, it'd have to be a lot of money. There's no doubt about it. But again, you know, I just, to me, I think it just feel icky. Yeah. You know, I just wouldn't feel right about doing it. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to, trying to, I've never bash, you know, David Faraday going because I think he, he probably needed to go for a creative outlet. Cause so I think yeah. he just, he just got tired of, you know, being very quiet and not being able to say <laughs> what he really wanted to say. So, so I think for him, it was a massive creative outlet, you know, and some guys, you know, took, took a nice paycheck and, and went over there. And again, I got nothing wrong with that. That's their, that is their prerogative. I'm just glad that it didn't come to me and, and you know, where it had to get thrown into my, you know, my court. I mean, I kind of came up with a number, you know, 15 million over 10 years, you know, one and a half, you know, I'd be going. I'm like, no, I wouldn't. That's just mm. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> you know, six months ago, I sort of thought this was, or what, however many months ago it was, three or four months, I sort of thought it was a joke. And it's like, if Phil Mickelson and Pat Perez want to go play on the Live Golf Tour, that's not going to affect the future of the product on the golf course. But now I'm really concerned. Like, there, you know, you want to see the best players in the world you know, you want to see the winner of the tournament beat the best players in the world. That's what golf should be. So what happens from here? I mean, you don't have all the best players on the same course all the time. Where do we go? So if you look, there's only one guy that really made a massive difference. And maybe there's a couple of them. I mean, DJ, DJ was the biggest name. Yeah. If you look at Brooks and 
again. This is just sheer numbers. Brooks, look at where his where he was on the FedEx Cup list. Look where you know what he had been achieving lately. Same thing with Bryson. You can have Bryson. You, you can have Bryson anyway. Take Patrick Reed. Look at Ian Poulter. Um, the one that was really kind of shocking to me was Taylor Gooch. Taylor Gooch was 10th on the FedEx Cup list when he bailed. I couldn't believe that. I'm thinking, why in the world is he going? You know, that still doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I, unless I don't know what his family background is, but if the money was just too, too good to pass up, maybe he's much better uh, buddies with DJ than I, than I know about things like that, because I know that's why Perez went went over is because DJ asked him to go and got him an extra two-year contract or whatnot. But, you know, some of these guys, I, you know, I couldn't quite figure it out, but I mean, you know, now even, you know, I can still make a case, you know, they've got some great name players, but what have they done? I mean, uh, again, you know, what, how many tournaments, you know, I, I heard about 12 of the last 24 majors. That's phenomenal. That's fantastic. But I can tell you this as a past major champion, you're only as good, you're only as good as, as the last major you played in. Nobody gives, I mean, that's great that, you know, you won 2002 PGA championship, but you know, how'd you play in the other ones? I don't even think I have a top 10 in, in any other major I ever played in, right? And that's the, that's the fact of it, right? I mean, but especially in this country, you're only as good as you were yesterday. I mean, seriously, people look at you and, you know, with the exception of a very few athletes that, you know, you're, what did you do today? You know, I did this yesterday. Yeah, that's great. You know, what'd you do today? You know, it's, it's really mind blowing to me how, how that can be changed. And I think if you look at a lot of athletes, maybe you look at a lot of athletes, they, you know, they kind of go through the same thing. You talk about why, why athletes have so much, so many issues, you know, mentally after a while is because we build them up. And all of a sudden when they stop performing, there's no more, there's no more lights on. And, you know, oh, they're not good anymore. Oh, they're, they're washed up. It's like, I had a great career, man. You're telling me that I suck. This is, wow, that's amazing. So I just kind of go back and look at the body of what these guys are, how to live right now. And they're not at their best. I mean, they weren't at their best when they took off. I mean, Cam Smith is the, is the, probably the ultimate exception. And DJ is probably, you know, right there as well. I mean, these two guys were seriously every single week contending in events. And I think those two players probably hurt the PGA Tour uh, more than anybody else. I think those two really sting. Taylor Gooch, I think it would have been another name. But beyond that, I mean, good names, fantastic names that people know. You know, Phil Mickelson, but, you know, he won the PGA in 2020. I mean, just unbelievable win. I mean, I watched it all. I'm like, I'm still blown away what he did, but he didn't do anything since then. I mean, he just nothing. And it's just like, I, I don't know what happened to him. I mean, I just can't believe that you could play as good as he did that week. And then all of a sudden just not come back. And he hasn't played very good on live either since he's gotten there. So I don't know. I don't know what kind of product they have to be fair. I mean, I look at the raw numbers and I see this and that and it just doesn't add up. All right. Well, it's going to be fun to watch and see what happens. It's uh, half the game's not even happening on the course right now. So uh, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. And I I just it it does, I think, dilute the game probably too much. But I think the PGA Tour is in a a very strong place. And I know that other folks are going to look at it a little bit differently, I think. But I think the PGA Tour is in such a healthier place than than what Lib has because they've 
they've locked their doors after 48 guys. After 48 guys, you know, they don't want anybody else in here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's the hard, that's the interesting part to me. Cool. We'll see. Well, thanks for your perspective, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, remind, our, remind our listeners and viewers where they can uh, connect and hear your thoughts on an ongoing basis. <laughs> well, every once in a while, I'm on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram, both at, at BeamerPGA. And if you guys are ever across the pond or have one of those uh, weird ways of uh, of pirating Sky Sports Golf, they can always listen to me in Spice, uh, Sky Sports Golf. I've tried to do that, but uh, wasn't wasn't able to. Uh, find some like 15 year old kid. You can probably figure out how to pirate it for you. I mean, it's, these kids know how to get a hold of anything anywhere around the world. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. Hey, man. Thanks so much. I really appreciate yeah, you it. Die, my friend. Hey, everybody. If you like what we're up to here at Crazy Money, do us and yourself a favor by following the show on your favorite podcast app and subscribing to our YouTube channel. Also, click the link in the show notes to subscribe to my new Substack, where you'll get bi-weekly thoughts on the role of money in our world and in our lives directly to your email inbox. Thanks for sticking around. We'll see you next week.